After three long weeks, the nightmare is over. The SBI show is back. I am Garrett Cleverly, surviving Europe. Ivis survived Peru. How you doing, buddy? I am good, man. I am back. We're both back. We both managed to stay out of jail in yes. these foreign countries. And I know we both had good times and, and, and got got a chance to recover and rest up. But, and then now we're both ready to roll. Yeah, I, I had a good time, man. I, I saw my first European... Uh, match when i was in sweden and, and played some pickup against norwegians so i mean i you know my, my trip wasn't totally removed from soccer i'm, I'm assuming yours is maybe something like that too uh i didn't watch any games uh i tried to stay away from it as much as possible uh, except for a few highlights here and there um but you know it was all about family time in peru and uh, i got a chance to go to machu picchu and, and i feel like i saw every english premier league team's jersey at least once on Machu Picchu, so that was kind of a little depressing, actually. But other than that, it was a good time. It was a good time. I recommend anybody uh, Peru as a as a vacation, and uh, specifically Lima and and Machu Picchu. If you have a chance to do it, I highly recommend it. You know, I always think that when I'm on vacation, like somewhere, you know, like overseas or somewhere special, I'm always very like cautious of the shirt that I'm going to wear because like then I think like you know in a year from now like do I want to be wearing that stupid shirt when I have this picture in front of something or or something like that I I always like think that I guess people don't process that you know yeah you know it was funny because uh you know I saw I saw all these different jerseys and the one that I actually remember is some some kid and he wasn't even a kid he seemed he was probably 20 maybe 20 something had a what looked like an authentic uh, game worn John Terry Chelsea jersey. What? I'm just thinking, and I'm just thinking to myself, really? Are you related? Who who would still at this point oh, wear a John Terry yeah. jersey? What adult male would do that? Um, but we th- this guy was doing it, and I, I'm at Machu Picchu, and I was just like, maybe he's a cousin. Maybe he's you know Joe Terry. You know, I, I don't know. It just seemed funny to me that you know, and it, I had to wonder if if he takes pictures. Of his Machu Picchu trip, a couple of years from now, he'll he'll ask himself, "Why, why did I wear a John Terry jersey?" See, that's what I'm saying. It's weird. Well, I, I went real quickly. I went to Northern Europe, and I highly recommend Oslo to everyone. It it is by far the coolest city I've ever been to in the entire world. I mean, Copenhagen was awesome, Stockholm was awesome, but Oslo, Ivis was it was beautiful, man. The scenery was was perfect. I mean, it's 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 a really cool looking city. But I'm sorry, where you gonna say? I wasn't saying anything, man. I was letting you go on. <laughs> Tell me more about Norway. <laughs> what, what do you want to know? Uh, I mean, I've heard good things. Uh, my, was... my, buddy, uh, my buddy Aiden Brown uh, played in Norway, and uh, he has nothing but good things to say about it. You know, it's uh, my buddy studies – okay, real quick, for people out there, if you're like 23 trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, my buddy – is getting his graduate degree for free in landscape architecture because Norway doesn't charge her tuition. So if you're out there being like, what should I do? I highly rec- recommend also. I mean, the population of that city, like under 40, is like has to be 70, 75%. There's just like young people everywhere. I've, I've never seen a city like that. You can get from one side to the other in 15 minutes. It was fabulous. But look, enough about our trips because you and I could spend the whole show talking about our trips, especially Machu Picchu. I mean, you keep talking about that every time I talk to you. Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it really is an experience to go there. And I know people have seen pictures, but I got to tell you, pictures don't do the place justice. You just, just when you stand there and you're in the mountains, you're high up and you see these creations, uh, these, these, just the pyramids, this, this it's just amazing, honestly. And I, 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 it was great to just get a bunch of pictures with the family there. And, and my, my two sons had a great time playing Indiana Jones up there. Oh, nice. uh, but I, I recommend it to everybody. You, you have to, you have to see, experience it in person 
to fully appreciate it. Oh, I, I bet. I mean, yeah, it's you're right. Pictures never do justice, and they never really describe what it looks like. Well, Ivis, in the two weeks that we were gone, there was tons of soccer news coming out, and then today, what's great about today's show is that Jurgen Klinsmann announced the U.S. men's national team roster. And it's so fun now. I mean, it's really exciting times when you see how just strong the depth of this roster when it creates so much just he should make it, he shouldn't make it. But, I mean, when you look at this roster, Ivis, and you look at just the U.S. men's national team in general, I mean, this has to be one of the just strongest rosters we have ever seen. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, Right now is a great time when you talk about the depth of the team and the number of players who who, who are worthy of call-ups who have impressed in the past few months, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann it does not right right now. He doesn't have a shortage of, of options at a, at a couple of different positions. Uh, and, and you know, it's like you said, you can almost call up a second team mm-hmm. right now of players that you'd feel pretty good about to go out and play and, and and do pretty well. But the first team, the squad that he called in the twenty three player roster, is very strong. I, I wouldn't say. There were any outrageous surprises uh, in it. Uh, you know, I think as far as players who were missing, uh, you've got a couple of names that you could point to, uh, mm-hmm. such as Clarence Goodson, Joe Corona. But I, I think when you look at who made the team, I, I don't I don't know if anyone should really be surprised by any of the players who made it. Uh, I think, you know, Edgar Castillo, obviously, is someone who maybe he still makes you scratch your head a bit that he's still getting called in. Uh, Michael Orozco was called in. I think he earned that. I think he showed well mm-hmm. in the in the Gold Cup. But overall, it's a it's a strong group. You got Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan together uh, for the first time in, in in I think more than a year. It's been a long, it's been a while since we've had the two of them, and now it's now you're gonna have a chance to see those two together in the attack with Josie Altidore, who, as we know, is on fire. I think the last time they played with each other was uh, in 2012. It was June or July. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, I mean, this even extends further. I mean, the task for Jurgen Klinsmann, I mean, he even said it. I mean, it's difficult with with what he has right now because you can definitely see, like as you said, that certain guys have played themselves into the roster. I mean, other guys like Kyle Beckerman. and I mean, look, say what you want about Kyle Beckerman. and I mean, then you have Alejandro Bedoya, who, I mean, great Gold Cup performances are now, you know, included on this roster, including Mix Diskarud. Um, you know, and then there's a couple new guys that we've seen now, too, that, that, that are recent additions. I mean, Aaron Johansson, which, I mean, I think his 10-minute cameo against Bosnia was enough to really excite people. And then, you know, John Anthony Brooks. I mean, he's he's very exciting. I mean, it was one game, but... You know, Ivis, this this combination that Jurgen Klinsmann is able to, has been brought together over these last couple different, you know, friendly Gold Cup and, and qualifying. I mean, it's really exciting, and it shows just how hard of a task it is for him. So, is it exciting? I just wanted to <laughs> shut get up. that clear. Shut up! It is exciting. Okay, look, all right. Let's get back to you know before we get into the new faces. I, I do want to you know talk about some of the other players that you mentioned, specifically Alejandro Bedoya. Here's a guy whose stock has. It, it, I don't know if there's a player whose stock has risen more in the past uh, month or actually the past two months than than Bedoya. Uh, you know, when you think about going back to the early summer, it seemed like he wasn't on the radar, or at least you know he wasn't part of the June team. Uh, you know, he hadn't been part of the group for a while, and and then not only does he get into the Gold Cup team, makes an impact in the big games, but plays well enough to to get another call up in in August and make him earn himself a move to league on side not 
where he's already off and running there. He, he he's he's enjoyed some good performances uh, with his new team in France, and and right now his stock is is is, is skyrocketing right now. Mm-hmm. And I like to. I think we should take some credit for that because he was a guest on the SBI show, and as you know, it's the met. You know, it's like a, it's like the golden wand. You know, if you come on the show, chances are. Your your stock's gonna rise. Just ask Paul Paul Ariola about that. I'm on the uh, show every week, and my stock never rises. Well, we can only do so much. We can't work miracles. <laughs> well, listen, all right. Bedoya, he's great. He he's done really well, and now he's put himself in a position to really be a strong option to start. And it's funny how long we talked about Landon Donovan and Graham Zusi and and who would start on the wings, and those always seem to be the two that you had in the conversation. But right now, Alejandro Bedoya. You know, you have to wonder if he hasn't pushed himself right into the forefront of that and and has become a really strong option. Uh, as far as the new faces, uh, it, it was pretty, uh, you know, impressive to see uh, Jurgen Klinsmann uh, manage to get both John Brooks, and I guess we're dropping the Anthony now. We're just going by John Brooks. Uh, John Brooks and Aaron Johansson, uh, getting, you know, not only have them come into a camp, but actually play against Bosnia. Neither are cap tied yet, uh Johansson's making the switch, so he is going to play for the U.S. Uh, it's not a cap tie situation. He is uh, he is, will be a, an American player. And as you said, that cameo was really impressive. I mean, seeing him oh, on yeah. the ball with the confidence that he has and the skill he has for his size, like it just it, it's impressive to see. And you just kind of want to see him continue to grow. I mean, as young as he is, I mean, you know, the future is so bright for him, and he's already you know. Crushing it with Azed, he's scoring goals, he's playing really well, and, and it's exciting, exciting to see what he can do. John, as far as John Brooks goes, he did well in his first start against Bosnia. He had his ups and downs. He had a few shaky moments. He's still, I think, uh, a work in progress for the international level. He's still learning. Uh, I know he did really well for Hertha last year uh, in Bundesliga too, but I, I think he still has something to learn, and I don't know if anyone should go penciling him in as a starter. But he he's promising, and and you can't you can't you can't have enough options, and and those two guys uh, make the U.S. pool that much stronger. Well, and the good thing for him is, I mean, he's going to be learning from Matt Beasler, Omar Gonzalez, Jeff Cameron. So, I mean, you just like you said, I mean, it's good to bring him in just to surround them with the talent. I mean, same with Aaron Newhansen to 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 be next to a guy like Josie Altidore and Landon Donovan. I just it, it it just goes the development for the next level is also there. It's not you know the focus is on the World Cup, but at the same time you see guys are going to be there and for the next one too, which I mean it makes it even only better. Well, I don't know if anyone's I don't know if those guys are thinking about 2018, but um, no, I tell you what, Brooks Brooks and Johansson. I mean, they're both young, but they both have the skill sets that when you think about the World Cup being in a year. Uh, you could, I could see either one of those guys being, or I could see both those guys being on the World Cup team, and and it's going to just put that much more pressure on other players in the pool. When you talk about, especially like, look at the center back uh, depth chart. When you talk about some veterans like you know Aguchi Onyewu and Carlos Bocanegra, who's kind of become you know the odd man out. I mean, having Brooks be a part of the of the of the mix now is just makes it that much tougher. Clarence Goodson, look, he didn't get called in; he missed out. We're talking about a guy who started and did well in in the in the Gold Cup final, and here he is, uh, you know, a month later, and he can't get a call up even. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just shows you the options there. Uh, it's exciting to see, but you know, for me, you know, it, I, I know people love talking about the new faces, the new players. The guys who haven't really done it yet, but they're excited to see what they can do. But I tell you what, this U.S. team has so many veterans 
together. I, I, I want to see these guys together. I want to see Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, and Michael Bradley together, working together, playing together. Because these ultimately, this is this full, this is the true full top team. I know, you know, it, back in June when the U.S. was rolling, they didn't have Landon Donovan. You had the whole, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann not calling him in thing. But Landon Donovan's back now, and now you have a what I would call a better representation of what the absolute best U.S. team can be. And it's and it's going to be exciting to see how that group does in two really tough matchups against Costa Rica and Mexico. Well, Avis, as you said, um, you know, a couple guys were – and I guess you could say snub. There's always going to be that argument of this guy should make it for this reason or that guy should make it for that, that reason. I mean, among the notable absentees, were, I mean, obviously Clarence Goodson, as you said, Joe Corona, Eric Lehigh, the calls are always there. On I mean, I mean, you're going to dress Lehigh and, I mean, said it's not a good time to experiment with that. I mean, Sasha Kleschen also wasn't called in. I mean, as far as the snubs, I mean, I mean, it just shows that just how deep this team is and how difficult it is for these guys to really crack it. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say that there were any outright full-blown head-scratching snubs, right? I think you can you can look at at the players that we did mention and you can and you can understand the decision behind those. I mean, when you talk about Clarence Goodson, I mean, obviously that you have Matt Beesler, Jeff Cameron, John Brooks, uh you have other options at center back and and Omar Gonzalez. Like right now you can argue Omar Gonzalez is 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 at a point right now where he's playing better. Than Clarence Goodson, at least that you know that's the argument that you figure the coaches are making now, and that's why Gonzalez got the nod, and Goodson didn't get the nod. Um, as far as Corona, Joe Corona's his minutes, his situation at Club Tuana, you know, his playing time looks like it's diminishing a bit. You know, he he might not be in the bet in the best run of form. So that 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 one wasn't a complete shot. I mean, I think that one you could kind of maybe see coming just because of that situation, because the fact he's his minutes are, are, are down a bit and, and maybe he's not playing his best. So um, Sasha Kleshin is someone that, again, he, he's missed out before. He's he's had these situations where he's, you know, he's called in one time, then not called in the next. Uh, you know, he just has to prove it. He just has to keep playing well at Anderlecht. Uh Funny enough, uh, the same day that he doesn't get called in, is the Champions League draw? His team's drawn in the Champions League. Uh, he and Jermaine Jones are the two Americans that are competing in the Champions League, um, and he's going to have his opportunities to to continue to try to impress. And, and I think I don't think people should rule him out just yet for for down the road. I think he's still someone that's in the mix. But again, there's so many options. There's so many other guys: Mix Discarude, Alejandro Bedoya. Mm-hmm. These are guys who have who made the most of their opportunities. Uh, and, and and Kyle Beckerman, Kyle Beckerman with an outstanding goal cup. Those three guys, uh, Discrude, Beckerman, and Bedoya, really have made the most of their recent opportunities, and that's why they're there, and that's why these other guys are not. And the team's fully healthy too. I mean, I think this team is as close as we might see for the World Cup in 2014, should the U.S. still qualify um, for it. I mean, and also in the conference call that Jurgen Klinsmann had today, I mean, he talked about. A couple things. I mean, against the Bosnia game, we saw how just important Fabian Johnson was when he moved up to the wing. And, and Jurgen said that we should expect more of you know him and Demarcus Beasley on that one side. You know, the one thing I found interesting in his comments, though, Ivis, was that you know he's still on a wait and see approach with Landon Donovan. When, when you look at this roster, where do you see someone like Donovan fitting in? That's a good question. You know, he. I, I think. Uh, when you just look at, at, at what the, the most likely layout of the team is, I mean, you figure Clint Dempsey's going to be playing behind Altidore. Uh, 
uh, Fabian Johnson on the left, and that leaves the right wing. That leaves the right wing for Bedoya, Donovan, uh, and Zussi. So you got three guys who can all compete for that one spot. Uh, and and for me, I'd want to see Donovan. I, I want to see the trio of Fabian Johnson, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan playing behind uh, Josie Altidore. For me, I think that would be the most effective. But at the same time, if you're if you're a Klinsman and you feel like if you feel like Bedoya is at a, is playing at a better level right now, he's obviously playing in France. He, he's in good form right now. Maybe he's the option. I, I think with Graham Zusi just coming back uh, from an injury, he's uh, you know I don't I don't know I wouldn't peg him as a starting option. So I think it's going to come down to Donovan and Bedoya. And it's, and it's not going to be easy, you know, because I think clearly Fabian Johnson has shown you you, you got to have him on the field. You got to put him on the left wing uh, just because of what he can do to the attack and the options that he gives you on the left wing. You have to have him in there. Um, and then Clint Dempsey, obviously you got to have Clint Dempsey, even though he hasn't yet really gotten going for the Seattle Sounders, he's still Clint Dempsey. He's still a guy you count on in big matches, so you have to have him there. So for me, I think we'll see Johnson – uh, in that first game, that Costa Rica game, I think we'll go. We'll see Fabian Johnson, uh, Clint Dempsey, and Landon Donovan. Uh, but again, there's so many options there. I mean, look at uh, Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson, you know, who, I, I, I don't know. He didn't against Bosnia. He did not look good. He didn't look right. He didn't look good against Bosnia. But hey, he did. He looked good in the Gold Cup. Uh, you know, so that Here, okay. th- there's just so many guys there. Here's a thought for you. I was thinking about this on the drive home, and and maybe it's because I was in the middle of the desert where it's pitch black, and I was with my thoughts, and, and I'm not thinking clearly. But Jermaine Jones against Bosnia did not impress me at all, and I thought he had a, a pretty bad game. I mean, public opinion on him was kind of all over the place, but. I wonder if could we see maybe like Eddie Johnson and Josie Altador up top together and Michael Bradley playing the six. And I think that Eddie Johnson and Josie Altador up top would be a handful of teams having to deal with them and then having to worry about Landon Donovan and Fabian Johnson on the wings. You're not going to see that. That's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen in Costa Rica. <sighs> I can tell you that right now. You got you have to look at this practically, right? I mean, when you're talking about an opponent and and – Look, we know Costa Rica when they played in the Gold Cup. You know they they bunkered in. They, they're very defensive. I don't think we should expect that in Costa Rica. I think Costa, I think they're going to come to attack. I think they're going to come. They're going to try to push numbers forward. You and and in in this day and age, you kind of have to have your two guys in front of the defense uh, with Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones. And and I, you can't just go off of one game and say, okay, look, I, I nah, he didn't look good in this game. Nah, we don't want you know he's he's not going to be the guy anymore. I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I think in the important matches, you're going to have Jermaine Jones in there because of what he brings to the table, the kind of bite that he brings, the the kind of presence that he brings. I just think he will be there uh, without a doubt. So you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that. It's it, it is, and that's the thing. It's it's easy. It's very it's very easy to get to fall into that trap where you look at the lineup, you look at you look at all these attacking options, and you say to yourself, hey. Maybe we don't need two defensive-minded midfielders. Maybe we can get away with just Michael Bradley there. And I, you know what? For me, I don't know if I didn't necessarily do that just because, you know what? Michael Bradley, when you when he has the ability to go both ways, when he doesn't have to be locked into the to the to uh, a number six position, it, you see all of his qualities. And I think it limits him if you just have him be the one guy that sits in front of the defense. And that's why I, don't, I personally don't think you would see Michael Bradley – uh, without either a Jermaine Jones or a Jeff Cameron next to him. I just don't see that happening. 
I just want to see an odd assault. The, like you said, the attacking options on this team are just so spooky. Well, you know what? That's why. That's why. Uh, that's why they invented FIFA. FIFA 13. <laughs> just plug it in. That's what everyone does, and and there you go. That's that's where you can, you know, have, you can play a three five three three five two, put all the attackers out there, and run up the score. But in in, in the real world of, of international soccer, you have to have a little more, be a little, be a little bit more pragmatic. Especially when you're going going into Costa Rica, you're going on a road. You're not going to go play an all-out attack. You're going to be a little more defensive-minded in that first game. Uh, but I tell you what, that Mexico game, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Klinsman and the U.S. team does against Mexico because I think they're going to go after Mexico. I think they're absolutely, uh, and that I think they're going to after them, and I think they're going to beat them. Um, well, I guess we could talk about more of those games as we get closer. But my one final question on the U.S. Men's National Team is right now Jeff Cameron has been starting at right back for Stoke. I thought his first game against, I didn't see the whole game, but I thought his first game against Liverpool, he, I mean, he, he looked a little nervous out there and forced the ball a lot. But still, I mean, it, it could bring up the conversation as, I mean, does Jeff Cameron get the start over Brad Evans, who has had that position on lockdown since Germany? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, again, you got to look at what the positions are and, and what the responsibilities are on this team, on this U.S. team. You know, Jeff Cameron at Stoke, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of responsibilities in the attack that, say, a, a right back in the in the U.S. system has. And and I don't know. I mean, could he play right back if you had to put somebody there? If you had to put him there, could he handle the role? Sure. But he doesn't give you, in my opinion, he doesn't give you the attacking options that you want to have in the in the system that Klinsman plays. Brad Evans gives you that. Brad Evans, while you know, defensively he's still kind of raw as a right back, he he gives you some good quality getting forward. And and I think that's something that you want to have gives you some balance, especially when you have Beasley and Johnson Fabian Johnson on the left mm-hmm. getting up and down the wings. You want to have balance. You want to have that on both sides. And and I think that that's why he like that's why Klinsman likes Brad Evans. Now if something happened to Brad Evans, if he got like red carded or or if he wasn't available then, you know, I think then Jeff Cameron is absolutely an option. And I also believe that I think nine players are going into this game with yellow cards. Is that, I, I don't know which players they are, but I mean, the, the number seems pretty high. So, I mean, we could see some some changes between that Costa Rica and Mexico game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're going to have some, I think it's going to be near, next to impossible to not have any players suspended for the Mexico game. But there you go. We're talking about the depth, right? I mean, there's depth everywhere. So, it's going to be an interesting challenge. I mean, well, when I say everywhere, almost everywhere. I think if if you know, if uh, if Fabi, if let's see, if Demarcus Beasley, something happens with Beasley, then all of a sudden you got to stick Edgar, Edgar Castillo at left back. And I don't know. Oh, if any, I don't know if anybody wants to. See, he I don't can't think put, Edgar he, Castillo wants to see left. He back. doesn't even play defense. Right. So you know what? <laughs> but aside from that, I mean, there's so many options there. I mean. You know, for me, I think there's certain players that you don't even want to think about not having. And Michael Bradley is, for me, that player. I think if you look at any other player on the field, you could maybe you could make do and, and find someone to fill the role. Michael Bradley, for me, is the one guy that if if some if he were suspended, that there there just isn't a, there just isn't another player who can do what he does. Well, Ivis will have more ample time to talk about the U.S. men's national team games as, as they're going to be on the road against Costa Rica and then at home in Columbus against uh, Mexico. I know you'll be there and I'm sure the rest of the U.S. soccer world, minus myself, 
will be there. As much as we get excited about the U.S. men's national team roster, there's still other guys abroad who who are making news, ma- making names for themselves. You know, the, the recent one this week was uh, came out on Wednesday that Breck Shea made his first start for Stoke America. I think that's how you say it. Stoke beat Wausau in the uh, in the League Cup. And uh, Breck Shea, I mean, first start, good for him coming back from his injury, and you know, hopefully, he becomes a fixture uh, in Stoke's Premier League games. It's one step, you know. It's a good, it's a positive one for him, obviously, with the issues that he's had with his foot. Uh, you know, for him to get out there and get a start, uh, it's definitely a positive sign. It's it's still early days for him. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if we should necessarily assume that that he's going to get more starts, but it sounds like he did well in that game when he did play. I mean, I think he played a half. And the reviews were pretty positive on that. So that's a good first step for him uh, in what was a pretty good week for Americans, uh, Americans abroad. When you think about Josie Altidore also scoring a goal, scoring his first goal for Sunderland, also in the League Cup. Mm-hmm. And then down in Brazil, uh, Freddie Adu uh, getting his first start for Bahia down in Brazil that that's uh you know if you if you're a fan of Freddie Adu you have to be pretty ecstatic about that. You know, I heard a uh I have you know I have an interesting Freddie Adu story I heard. You know, you know when I was in Copenhagen, I interviewed uh this player who plays for Bronby and he told me that the reason why he got noticed as a professional player was because he did these ju- you know juggling moves at some soccer clinic and and Freddie Adu noticed him and like called the coaches over and because of Freddie Adu this guy now is playing it, it led you know is a step in the right direction for him playing professionally so for all the Freddie Adu haters he's not that bad of a guy wow i mean that's a good story what, what was the guy's name what was the player's name he's uh he's, his name is Mikey Orilana he plays for uh, Bronby he just signed with them he's he's an El Salvadorian player he was just in the U20 World Cup and uh I had a chance to interview him out there. He's a, he's a really nice kid, and I mean, he told me this story. I, I was like amazed by it. I mean, like, and he was telling me how, like, you know, he idolized Freddie Adu growing up, and and you know, he, he wanted to be Freddie Adu, and that moment for him was so special. He'll never forget it. So, so Freddie Adu, check on the uh, good column list. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what, he, uh, the the fact that after all all the the different coaching changes and everything that he's been through down at Bahia. Uh, you know, it got it had gotten to a point where you wondered if he was going to have to make another move uh, to to find some playing time and get out of that situation. But it looks like now, uh, based on the past few weeks that you know he's gotten on the field and now he's gotten his chance to start, uh, that it sounds like he's settling in there and maybe finally uh, finding a good rhythm. And the other thing too about the Americans abroad, I mean, obviously we talked about him before. He's on the U.S. men's national team roster, but I mean, how impressive has Aaron Johansson been so far for Azet? I mean, clearly taking over the scoring role that Josie Outdoor has left. Well, that's why they bought him. You know, they brought him in, uh, seeing him as the natural replacement for Josie Outdoor, and he's and he's done really well there. And when you think about Azet, I mean, the fact that they not only lost Outdoor, but they. Um, they also lost their star midfielder, Adam Mayer, uh, who went to PSV, um, PSV Eindhoven. He, I mean, for them to still find chances, create chances, I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to, to Johansson. And, and as we talked about earlier, I mean, just technical ability, the technical skill that he has on the ball for a player his size just makes him so tough to deal with, so tough to defend. And uh, I can definitely, you can definitely understand why people are so anxious to see a potential Johansson Altador uh, pairing up top. And, and uh, you know, as much as, you know, Klinsman doesn't necessarily play 4-4-2 or start out in 4-4-2, I think as Johansson improves and progresses as a player, I think, I think it's just going to almost become inevitable that, you, that he's going to have to find a way to get 
both those guys on the field together. Also in Americans Abroad, this this ties in the uh, Champions League in Europe. Uh, Sasha Kleshin and Jermaine Jones, uh, they were, they're were they the only two Americans left that are playing in the Champions League. Um, and and, and the, um, the the group pairings came out, excuse me. Uh, Schalke's in Group E with Chelsea, uh, Basel, and this team from Romania, I can't pronounce. I don't, do, you know, do you know how to pronounce <laughs> you it? You couldn't <laughs> pronounce the other team. I can't. It's, it's, stopping a, you. it's a team from... It's, uh, Stay. I, I don't know. Stau Bucharest. Thank you, Ivis. You know, you're the man, of, you know, in linguistics and all that stuff. You, 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 you know, <laughs> you know that stuff. And then Anderlet is in a team, uh, a favorable group actually, with uh, Benefica, PSG, and uh, Olympiacos. So I mean, you know, good opportunity for both uh, both Americans to advance out of the group stage. Uh, absolutely. I think I think you could see both those teams go through. Uh, I think obviously Shaka is in a bit of a better situation, um, but. Tell you what, Anderlecht, Anderlecht could absolutely get through, and at the very least, what you, what you want to hope for from Anderlecht is to get through at least to, to, to get the Europa League spot and not finish in last place, and keep that European dream going and, and playing those extra games against high level competition. I mean, that can only help a player like Sasha Kleston. And uh, the rest of the draw came out, and Manchester United gets a cakewalk as they always do. Some some other tough groups. Arsenal looks like it's going to be a little bit difficult for them. Uh, I mean, Real Madrid's in a tough group with uh, Juventus and uh, oh my gosh, I just uh, and Galatasaray. So uh, I mean, it's, it's going to uh, be fun. Also, Celtic taking on Barcelona. So maybe we'll see another Rod Stewart crying moment uh, up at Celtic if they beat Barcelona. Well, I'd tell you what, if you're an Arsenal fan, you have to you have to be kicking yourself a little bit because not only has your team not bought anybody and is sitting apparently on this mountain of transfer <laughs> cash that they just refuse to spend, but now you get drawn into what you can argue is the group of death. I mean, or is absolutely one of the top two toughest groups uh, in the whole draw when you talk about uh, playing Napoli uh, with their revamped lineup, their revamped roster. Uh, and Borussia Dortmund, obviously the, the the you know the reigning finalists in the UEFA Champions League, and then Marseille, who they, they're not a pushover either, the French team. So right there, four four good teams, no no easy uh, easy ones there. Uh, so that that's a tough one. And then the Barcelona group, you know, Barcelona, AC Milan, Ajax, and Celtic. I mean, there is not one you know one like you could call a real pushover there. I know Ajax is. Uh, you know, expected to maybe be down a bit now with Christian Eriksen making the move uh, apparently to Tottenham. It looks like now, um, so they're gonna, you know, they're obviously gonna take a step back. But still, I mean, I think they're still gonna be a tough team to play. So those groups are, are pretty tough as far as Man United. I tell you what, Man United the past few years have gotten quote unquote easy draws, and those draws have turned into tough ones. So that's true. Uh, and, and two years ago, they were eliminated in a draw in a in a in a group they were supposed to win. So. Oh, that was so great. So you can't. So well, you, that, can't, cause, cause Shakir, you can't take Shak- it for granted. Shakiri necessarily call their group a pushover because you never know. You never know. Shakiri in that game. I remember that. I remember that game. He he just destroyed Manchester United in that game. Oh yeah. I tell you what, they'll get great. through this time. I, I wouldn't worry about it. I it think they're, I think this. I think Man U is pretty strong this year. I think they're going to get the job done. Who is? Uh, who's your? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It might be too early for you to make a pick, but uh, who who are you thinking? Well, look, Bayern's the favorite for me. I mean, obviously they won it, and they're even, and now they've you know Guardiola's in charge. He's added some pieces. Uh, you have to you have to think they're right there. I think Barcelona. Uh, maybe they need a they maybe they need a center back, but you have to still like them. Uh, and then Real Madrid. I think those teams, and, and then PSG. You can't forget about PSG. When you think Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Edison Cavani together, that's just ridiculous. So I, I tell you what, the, like those teams for me, 
the, one of those four teams will lift the trophy. While we were away on our vacation, a few MLS teams were busy. The LA Galaxy appeared to be the most busiest with uh, some player signings and extensions. Omar Gonzalez is now a DP. They locked him up for the next three years. And then Landon Donovan just received Clint Dempsey-type money, uh, making him one of the highest-played players in the MLS. And the LA Galaxy, I mean, locking up their key players and uh, I mean, for a couple years. And, you know, if you're a Galaxy fan, you had to be very happy about the moves. Well, the Galaxy did not uh, did not shy away from uh, pulling out the wallet and uh, you know opening up the vault, uh, the, the Phil Anschutz vault, uh, and they splashed uh, what it sounds like it'll be it could be upwards of twenty to twenty five million dollars in salaries over the next four years uh, for Landon Donovan and Omar Gonzalez. And let's face it, I don't know if anybody should really have been surprised by the Landon Donovan deal. I don't think anyone was. I mean, I know there were, I know there were these convenient rumors of of interest from Europe and his interest in potentially going to Europe and and these these uh, questionable links to clubs and you know I know there was alleged AC Milan interest, which you know take it for what take you take it for what it's worth. But at the end of the day, Landon Donovan was always going to stay in MLS. You know, he's comfortable here. He's comfortable in LA. They were they were always going to be willing to 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 step up with the money, and at the end of the day, they went out and looked at other options, right? They before this double signing, before the Gonzalez and Donovan signings, they tested the waters internationally. They looked at other options. There obviously the widely reported uh, talks about Giovanni De Santos, uh, and you know and, and you know whether it's Kaká or, or, or you know other other players that were rumored. I mean, I heard Anderson. Former uh, Manchester United midfielder Anderson, the Brazilian, uh, you know, you, you heard all these names. At the end of the day, they stuck with the two guys. They're going to bring them back. And Landon Donovan just makes too much sense. You have to pay him. You have to give give him money comparable to Clint Dempsey cause for what he's done through the years and for the quality player he is. And as of right now, going into 2014, he will be the second highest paid player behind Clint Dempsey. But he has bonuses in his contract. If he if he meets certain performance uh, you know levels in his contract and it's not outrageous, he could end up being the highest paid player in the league. And ultimately, you know what? He should be the highest paid or one of the one of the one or two highest paid players. For me, though, the 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 more I'd say the more important move or the more significant signing was the Omar Gonzalez signing. And I'd say that because when you think about setting a precedent when in the past MLS did not pay defenders did not pay center backs that kind of money I mean you know you, you can go through the years of some of the top center backs that have come through and had and had their contracts renewed and they didn't make anywhere near this kind of money that Omar Gonzalez is making whether you're talking about Chad Marshall a few years back or more recently Matt Beisler. Uh, I mean, for Omar Gonzalez to step up and get a three-year, $5 million deal, $5 million total from what I'm told, I mean, that is huge. That is big money, and and it's definitely a significant step in the evolution of the league to show that a team in the league, uh, they're willing to step up and pay a young standout defender the way they paid Gonzalez, and 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 I think that's it, it. It's definitely like people need to realize just how big that is because it shows that you don't have to be the one or two top guys in the entire league to get a big contract. And and I think that's uh, you know, if I'm at if I'm Matt Beasler's uh, if I'm Matt Beasler, I am on the phone to my agent ten times a day, and and I tweeted it the day that Gonzalez's uh, deal went down. 
you know, I pictured him doing the whole uh, show me the money uh, routine from uh, Jerry Maguire, uh, for, for those of you who are old enough to remember that movie. Um, old so, enough. Everyone should know that movie. Hey, you know what? I don't know. I, I don't take any references for granted. If it's a te- if it's more than ten years old, I, I gotta I, I have to wonder because you know there's a lot of young fans out there. But anyway, uh, but yeah, it, it, that's a significant moment, a significant step, a precedent in the league to have a defender, a young defender, a young American center back get paid, and that's big. That's that, that's really big uh, and a positive step for the league. Well, I mean, obviously, I said helps getting paid when you're playing in all in one of the biggest markets too. I mean, that also helps out the equation. Well, I mean, I, well, it's not like you have to be in a big market to have money, right? I mean, Seattle has money. Uh, New York has money. Yeah, I guess big markets. It, <laughs> it helps. It helps. It helps. Yeah, but, I, yeah. But you know what? It still comes down to the league having to be. The league still has to be down, uh, okay with it. The league still has to look at it and say, you know what? We as a league are okay with this happening because you know what? Once LA does it, other teams are going to have to be able to do it, well, and and other players are going to start asking for that money. Well, and I can guarantee you, the reason that we haven't had this before is because the league has been has, has been at the at the gate. They've been at the register and they've said, you know what? We're not going to pay that yet. We're not paying. You know what? If you want to be, you're oh, you're the best center back in the league. Great. You make four hundred thousand. You make three hundred thousand. You make three hundred and fifty thousand. You know what? Go ask Toronto FC about Olaf Melberg when they tried to give him a one point five million dollar contract, and MLS uh, conveniently suggested that that wasn't going to work for the league. You know what? Now we've got a new. We've got a, a precedent has been set. And you have to hope that that means that more money will be invested in the player salaries. And maybe that's a positive step for the CBA. You know, is is MLS really serious now with the new CBA that they're going to step up the salary cap and they're going to start paying a little more money? I mean, do you also see part of it as being because MLS's TV contracts are coming up next year and they're going to receive a significantly higher number than they received last time, which I think was around $30 million? I mean... Come on, MLS has to be getting way more than that this time. And could you see the league continuing this aggressive nature leading up to those new negotiations? Listen, I don't think we're getting to a point where every team's going to have a million-dollar defender. I'm not saying that either. But I think you had a unique case when you talk about Omar Gonzalez. And a young U.S. men's national team defender, a marketable guy in, in L.A., someone who had interest from Europe and Mexico – I mean, he, it, it was a bit of a perfect storm where, you know, they, where he had leverage. Omar Gonzalez absolutely had leverage. Uh, he was a player that, you know what, I have a feeling that if you asked Bruce Arena uh, what player he could, could least afford to lose, I think he'd tell you Omar Gonzalez just because, you know what, it's, that, it's, that, it's very difficult uh, to, to find yourself a dominant center back uh, to play in MLS. I mean, you can go get an international quality attacking player uh, forward or playmaker much more easily than you can get yourself a, a top quality center back. And that's why for me, that's why LA was willing to spend the money. That's why Bruce Arena signed off on it. And that's why MLS said, you know what, and looking at all this, looking at everything involved, you know what, we have to pay this. We have to pay this money because that, you know what, he ticks all the boxes. He can walk away. We can't afford to lose him. The Galaxy certainly can't afford to lose him. And there, and there you go. Now you have now you have a your first true million dollar defender. And before any New York Red Bull fans bring up Rafa Marquez, I've said it a million times. When he signed with the league, he was a midfielder. He ended up moving to 
to center back where he would play every other week when he wasn't suspended or injured. But Omar Gonzalez is your first true million-dollar MLS defender. Well, speaking of teams that don't want to get rid of their players, that seems to be the case right now in New England as they, you know, a little playoff push has prompted them to kind of say maybe we want to keep Juan Agadello and MLS has actually turned down uh, the transfer that Stoke City presented itself, especially with his play. I mean, Ivis, you broke the story on this. Um, and what, what's the latest on this front right now? Well, from what I understand, and uh, I wrote it on Thursday evening, uh, from my, what my sources tell me, Stoke City has made two. They they have made two offers now. This is actually their second offer. Uh, they had an, an initial bid rejected, and now they've they've, they've stepped forward with a uh, an offer in the neighborhood of seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Which you know maybe that doesn't sound like much when you talk about a transfer, but. Juan Agadello only has four months left on his contract, right? So, you know, three-quarters of a million dollars. Stoke City really wants, apparently, they really want to bring Agadello in as soon as possible. MLS is not budging. And the interesting thing about this case is, and again, this is part of the the MLS rule book that doesn't actually exist. But this is a rule that exists. I have this confirmed from MLS uh, sources, MLS officials. Uh, when a player is in the final year of a contract, uh, of an MLS contract, any offers made for that player ultimately have to be decided on by the league. And the league has is supposed to have final say, not the clubs. So if a, a, if a reasonable offer, uh, an acceptable offer comes forward, then it's up to MLS to say, you know what, yes, we should take it or not take it. Uh, and in this instance, uh, MLS has decided that no, seven hundred fifty thousand is not enough for four months of Juan Agadello, and and it, that's an interesting one for me. I got to tell you because you know that's that as far as I understand that would have that would absolutely be the highest uh, transfer for a player in that same situation that I can remember when you talk about uh, other players that have been in that situation. So why isn't he being sold? I mean, I think it's pretty clear. New England does not want to part with him. For New England, it matters much more that they have him to help them get in the playoffs than it would matter to me to get uh, what ultimately would be only a fraction of yeah, I was the tra- say. of the transfer. This is New England not wanting to give New York money. That's all it is, Ivis. Come well, on. Oh, but see, and I, and and I, and I don't remember if I mentioned this or not before. But uh, in case I haven't, this is a little good tidbit. I thought I mentioned it before, but maybe I didn't. Uh, before the before the the vacation that we both went on, I think I, mentioned, I, I think I mentioned it actually. I think nah, that's where you got nah, it from. They didn't. <laughs> uh, from what my sources tell me, the New York Red Bulls are actually willing to give New England a larger portion of Juan Agadello's uh, transfer fee. Uh, as of right now, they hold a large percentage of it, but they are willing to give part of their percentage to New England to facilitate the deal. And if yeah, and, and if you're wondering why would New York do that, well it's pretty simple. Uh half of half of something is better than all of nothing. And if if, if an, an Agadello transfer never happens, the Red Bulls don't get a penny. So it, it definitely makes much more sense for them to say, hey, you know what? If we're gonna get uh if we're gonna get six hundred thousand, we'll give you half of that. We'll give you three hundred thousand. We'll make it worth your while. But you know what? New England, as it stands, from what I understand, New England is not uh, interested in, 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 in making that happen. And obviously it's not up to them 
But something tells me that New England is not is letting it be known to the league that they don't want to lose Juan Agadello because they need him for the playoff race. Well, keeping it MLS related, while we are away, Ivis, some uh, crazy things happened. Montreal Impact first in the East, New England back in the uh, playoff picture. I mean, we can talk about that more as we do our MLS preview. Uh, but going into this weekend, Real Salt Lake taking on Portland for the third time this month, second time in nine days. I mean, RSL defeated Portland in that U.S. Open Cup, and then uh, last week they uh, they uh, I mean, kind of an exciting game, a draw up in uh, up in Portland 3-3. So, I mean, two teams vying still for that first spot uh, in the West. I mean, we, we said this about Portland. I mean, they've had a really good season, but you know, the win's give you more points than draws right i think it's been a learning experience for 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 that portland team and ultimately the timbers need a striker they need a reliable striker i I know ryan johnson and freddie picune have had their moments here and there but right now the timbers really what they're what i think they're when you look at other teams look at the other teams in the in the west right now real salt lake they have alvaro sabrio galaxy robbie Keane, and landon donovan uh, Seattle, Eddie Johnson, Clint Dempsey, and Obafemi Martins. Um, you need those those forwards that you can absolutely depend on to get your goals. Uh, FC, you know, even the teams that are on the fringes of the race, FC Dallas with Blas Perez, Vancouver with Kenny Miller, Kenny Miller and Camillo. Mm-hmm. The Timbers, if they're lacking in an area, it's at forward. And maybe that's not something that they're going to be able to address this year. Uh, it's something that for the offseason they're definitely going to look at, but I think for right now, that's kind of been the one the, the one big hindrance for them. And even with that, I feel like they played well. I mean, when you look at the games, you know, yes, they lost to Seattle uh, in Seattle in, in, in front of a packed CenturyLink field, but it was a 1-0 game. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly a dominating performance by Seattle. Portland is in these games. And while, yes, they're dropping points, they're not, you know, that, that, that draw against Salt Lake last week, where they, they blow the lead in stoppage time, that is an absolute gut punch. But at the same time, you know, they, they played well in that game, right? So for Portland, you know, it, it's a process. They, they, they're coming together as a team. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone should write them off because of these results, but I, I think they're going to learn from these results. But you know what? At, at the end of the day, they still need a forward to step up. As far as Salt Lake goes, you, you know, you have to be feeling pretty good if you're Salt Lake to, to get results like they've gotten missing key players uh and then that portland game for them to get a draw in portland missing all the players they were missing i mean that that's huge that's a huge boost for them and now they're back home they play the timbers again i tell you what i think the timbers i think this i think they they need this one i think they need this game and as tough as it is to win in real salt lake um i think portland's gonna i think they're going there and do it i think they're gonna pull a bit of an upset winning in portland uh, I mean, winning in in, uh, in Sandy, Utah, and I think it's going to be a, a can't miss game. I think it's going to be. I think it's a great battle. Every time these teams play, it's, it's 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 you have to watch it. So I'd say Friday night, if you're not doing anything else, make sure you're watching this game. Yeah, if you have no life and you're not going out on Friday night, uh, I was we left <laughs> we left to go on vacation. I mean, we were singing the praises of the Red Bulls for defeating both. Real Salt Lake and Sporting Kansas City, who are both at the time uh, the number one teams in their respective divisions, but then they lose to the Crew, and then they drop, uh, and then they draw uh, with the Philadelphia Union, and then lose the Chivas USA. I mean, things not going good for New York, but hey, on the roster coming up is struggling DC United, and if New York can get a win over DC United, I mean, obviously the rivalry is there. They'll win the Atlantic Cup. So, I mean, for New York. 
a uh, what looks like a favorable win and a and a, and a, and a, a cup win again could could be on the schedule for them this weekend. Well, I, I honestly, I don't think anyone in the, in New York is thinking much about the Atlantic Cup. I think what they're worried more about is just their inability to find consistency. The, the lack of consistency with this team is just is just mind-numbingly frustrating. If you're a Red Bulls fan, if you follow this team, I mean, you've, you've seen them put together these outstanding performances, right? And then they'll come right out and lay an egg the next week. The Chivas USA game, I mean, that one, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain just what the deal is with them on the road. I know they got that win in KC. That was kind of the aberration. That's the That, that was the exception. But until they can show that they can consistently play well on the road, I'm not saying win games on the road. I'm just saying consist, play consistently well on the road. Until they until they show that, you can't take them seriously as a, as a title contender, as a real title contender. And that's why for me, you know, there's that first tier of title contenders, which I think there's about four teams in that mix. And then there's a second tier. I, I think the Red Bulls are in that second tier, and, and, and I just don't see them. Uh, really challenging for a title. I mean, is there anything they can do to, to to fix it? I mean, besides the consistency. I mean, when you watch them, I mean, what do you think that Mike Pecky can do to to turn this season around so they can have a legitimate? I mean, not. I'm mean, sorry, that's horrible to say. Turn the season around because they should make the playoffs. But I mean, what can he do to give them a fighting chance? Honestly, I just think the way they, the way this team is made up, the way this roster is made up. I just think it's just not going to be good enough at the end of the day. You know, when you look at some of the moves that they did make, I mean, Juninho was supposed to be an answer for them as a playmaker. It didn't work out. He left. Um, they've added some pieces, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, is he going to be someone who's a true difference maker that helps boost their attack? Because honestly, I mean, uh, after Henri, I mean, when you talk about the forwards on that team, I, I, you know, Fabian Espindola hasn't really – Lit up the world, and 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 some of the other Peggy Leindela. I mean, they, they, I mean, it's it's just it's all a bit, it's all a bit thin. Once you get past, you know, the stars in that team. Obviously, when you talk about Henri Cahill, McCarty, Olave, once you get beyond those guys, I mean, it's pretty thin. And I know, you know, week in and week out, you might have a guy step up here and there. You might have a Johnny Steele have a good game. You might have an uh, an Eric. At, uh, Alexander have a good game, but it's just not enough. And there's just, it's just, I don't know. I just think it's the way this, this team was built. I just think it's the way the roster was put together. It's a little too top heavy. And when you rely on that, uh, when you, you're so reliant on that, that, that group of, of top guys, it just leaves you vulnerable. And that's why I think, look at the other teams that are in the mix. Uh, when you talk about the true title contenders, Los Angeles, Real Salt Lake, uh, Kansas City, they just have so much better balance in their rosters. And that's why those teams are true contenders, and that's why I don't think the Red Bulls are. The LA Galaxy on Saturday will be hosting the San Jose Earthquakes in the California Classico. Uh, San Jose is going to be going into this game very short-handed, which is, could, spell, could spell excuse me, certain doom for them. I mean, they're going to be without Justin Morrow, Victor Bernardez, and Rafael Baca. Uh, I mean, for for San Jose Ives, missing those guys who are key contributors to this team, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult against the LA Galaxy. And I mean, I, I see them extending their uh, beaten streak to four games. Honestly, even if they had those guys, I think it'd be a tough one. And I know, look, San Jose in the past has shown they can cause problems for the Galaxy, but I think the Galaxy are really putting it together now. And I think you know, Omar Gonzalez has, has stepped up his game. 
Landon Donovan's obviously playing well. Robbie Keane's healthy now. I think I just think they're starting to ram into championship form, and I and I just don't, you know, Seattle, San Jose. When you look at the results, I mean, they've only they've only had they only have one loss in their past uh, six, but hey, they won they've won one of their past three. A little bit of inconsistency the last few weeks, and uh, you know, I think it'll be a good game, but I just think the Galaxy. Uh, I just think they're riding high right now. Well, speaking of teams that are riding high, everyone's favorite hip, hipster pick of the week, the Colorado Rapids. Everyone's, not everyone, but some people are saying they're, they're first, the best team in MLS right now. They're going to be taking on Sporting Kansas City on the road in this game. And, uh, I mean, I would say Colorado, I mean, it was a team that maybe we thought, you know, maybe next year was the year for them, but but they've continued to impress and, and really show people that they're a team that, that can really make the playoffs and, and make some noise. I mean, are, are they deserving of, of that number one seed yet, or, or is, are, are we still premature on it? Well, I mean, we're you know, I, some people have them as the top team right now. And look, they put together a nice little run now. We're talking about two, four, six, eight, nine, uh, nine unbeaten, right? It's not, nothing, uh, nothing to sneeze at there. But for me, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to say – Based on that, that okay, they're a team you want to pencil in and call them a title contender. They're on a nice little run right now, and clearly, as we've talked about through through the shows of the of the summer, they're a team that when he had so when he had all those injuries early on, and they had some young players forced into into important roles, and 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 had young players really mature, guys like Dylan Powers, Shane O'Neill, Deshaun Brown. All these guys. Now, when you have them with all the players who've come back from injuries, you have some serious depth. You have options. Oscar Pereja has multiple options now at his disposal. At his disposal, he's, he's got himself a deep team. Having said that, I, I don't know. I just think they're missing a little something. I think they're when you talk, you know, you, ultimately you need some star power. You need some guys who you can absolutely rely on to carry you. And I think maybe they still lack that in that department. As far as balance goes, look, top to bottom, they have some pretty good balance. We talk about, you know, they're deep from the defense midfield up top. They have depth. They have some quality. But just, I, I just feel like, I just feel like they're missing something. And and that's why, you know, while the results are there right now, I just think when you get to playoff time. And you're facing teams like the Galaxy and Real Salt Lake. I think they're going to come up short. Wyvis, I set you up unfairly right there for a uh, for an ultimatum. Why don't you preview the game for us? Well, I'll tell you what. This is a good game. And speaking of, you know, since we're talking about Colorado and how seriously we should take them, this is a great opportunity for them. You know, we they're playing a, a tough Sporting Kansas City team on the road. Let's see what they can get. Let's see what they can do. If they can get a result against Sporting Kansas City uh, on the road, that's you know, that's a, that's you're talking about a real uh, a chance to send a real message. I, I mean, we're talking when you think about the Rapids and, and the results that they've posted lately. I mean, they, they beat the Galaxy. The most recently, they beat the Whitecaps. So, they, you know, they've got some pretty decent results there. Uh, but then they also tied Chivas USA uh, and DC United, uh, uh, you know, a month back. So they, they're still a little up and down. This is a good opportunity for them uh, to really show if they're going to be a team you want to seriously consider for, for a challenge to the top spot in the West. I think they're still a bit off from that. But, hey, a win in Kansas City – 
would certainly uh, boost their credentials. Uh, a team that wants to be in that conversation for the playoffs is the uh, Houston Dynamo, but Ivis, they haven't been playing that that well as of late, to say the least. I mean, last week they got shellacked by the Montreal Impact, five to zero. In the, they're 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 playing well in the champion Concacaf Champions League, but I mean, no one's been really impressed with their play. I, I mean, wh- what is what is the Houston Dynamo problem in? I mean, against a team like Chicago that, that are both fighting for the playoffs, I mean, what, what can they do in this game? Well, one of the big problems for Houston all year has been their form on the road, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're a team that traditionally has been all right on the road. They've been pretty solid, especially in the playoffs. You know, they, they, they've gotten it done on, on the road this year. Really, had that ha- really hasn't been the case. Um, you know, they, they've had some tough games lately. You know, they lost, to, they lost at Real Salt Lake. They beat the Sounders. Uh, and then last last week's just embarrassment to Montreal on the road. Uh, it's hard to kind of write that one off. But they they they've been they really haven't hit their stride all year. I mean, I know the the, the first couple months of the season they put some decent results together. Uh, but I don't know, man. I, they're a team that, that you know when you talk about who's been really disappointing this year. I know people would point to DC United uh, as being the shock team that you know people really had high hopes for, and it, it really fell apart. But this Houston team. I just thought it would be so much better than they've been. And uh, the clock's ticking on them. Now, all of a sudden, uh, you know, with, with their most recent loss, now they, they've really put themselves in a tough spot in the playoffs. They're currently tied with New England on points for the last playoff spot. They have a game in hand, which is important. But all of a sudden now, the Chicago Fire are only two points behind the Dynamo. Uh, and so that's this game that makes this game, I mean, it's huge now. Now Houston has to go to Chicago. They have, Houston has not been that good on the road. Now they have they have they need to get at least a draw out of this because you know what? If you lose that game, all of a sudden you're you're falling as far as seventh place in the in the East, and that's uh, that's that's really dangerous territory, especially considering how strong the fire are coming on with the players that they've added. They 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 made some acquisitions now in in, in the summer window. That, that look like they're really going to boost them even further than Mike McGee and Baki Sumari already have. So I'll tell you what, the Dynamo, they're in serious trouble right now. They they really, really might not make the playoffs. We have reached the Q&A segment of the show. As always, we appreciate everyone who stayed up extraordinarily late and sent questions in. You can always send in questions whenever you want. You had to do just hashtag ask the SBI show whenever you want and we can answer those questions for you uh, first question Ivis comes from Guillermo Veliz is the California Classico the best rivalry in MLS well one thing I'd say is when it comes to rivalries in MLS it's obviously you know your own personal uh, stance on uh, your team preference is, is going to obviously sway your own opinion on it so you know someone who Someone from California, someone who's an Earthquakes fan, might might think the the the, the San Jose Galaxy uh, rivalry is the best, or is the you know the, the best rivalry in MLS. For me, as an impartial observer, right now, looking at the way the games have gone, mm-hmm. the, the the passion between the fans, the rivalries, it's hard to argue Seattle Portland, man. I think I think Seattle Portland for me has to be the best rivalry in the league right now. And, I mean, you have other. Other rivalries that have obviously longer histories, uh, but just when you talk about the 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 cast that that particular rivalry and with those two teams playing pretty well right now, uh, you have to go with that. With the fan bases that they have, with the kind of crowds that they draw for those games, 
you have to go with uh, you have to go with Portland Seattle. I mean, I, I just I just I don't and I don't think it's close. I know I know San Jose and LA have put it had some great games. They 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 they, they had the play, the great playoff series last year and through the years uh, tra- traditionally there've been some amazing playoff series between those teams, but I don't know for right now this moment I got to go Portland Seattle. Next question comes from Casey Miller. Any chance Agudelo can get back into the national team picture? Of course. I mean, he's too young to, to write him off. I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, he, he's someone who, as we've seen the last few weeks with New England, the quality is there. He, he's a skilled, a very, very skilled player. I think he does need to go to England to kind of you know take his game to that next level and, and, and hopefully uh, land in a situation where he can really – uh, you know, groom his ability, his skills, um, but it's it's clearly not too it's not too too late for him. I mean, he's too young to write him off. Uh, you know, obviously, when you talk about 2014, the number of opportunities that are there for him to put himself back in are diminishing. Obviously, but it's not too early. It's not too late. It's not definitely not too late. Our next question comes from JJ Velasquez. With Goodson admitted from the roster, does Omar Gonzalez have any need to worry about his starting spot? Well, I think it's a safe bet he's going to start with Beesler. I think that's uh, the tandem uh, you figure. But hey, John Brooks, you have to you have to look at him. You have to ask yourself uh, how much does Klinsman like him? How much does he see him as a as a viable option for right now? I think Beesler Gonzalez is going to be the tandem. But uh, listen, if Gonzalez has any more shaky games, if he makes any more big time mistakes, then it's his his position absolutely will be in jeopardy. But I think. If anything, right now, he's looking good, playing for the Galaxy. I think maybe signing that new contract actually uh, will take some pressure off him because he doesn't have to think about going into into free agency, into into the January window, figuring out what his future is. He knows he knows that he's pretty set right. He's set right now. He signed his big contract. Uh, he has that security. And he can still make a move. And that's the thing that I think maybe people are kind of overlooking is everyone just sees the fact that he has signed this new deal and thinks he's going to stay put in MLS now because of it. I don't know. I don't think that's the case at all either. I think maybe he can give you one more year, 2014 in MLS. And then after that, you know what? I could definitely see him making a move to Europe. Uh, but for, for right now, I think he is the starter. And uh, if he can carry over his recent MLS form to these upcoming qualifiers, he's going to be the starter for a while. Next question comes from Scott Utterson. Uh, I'll, I'll tailor the question so it's more appropriate to what it is. But how does Ivis record a podcast at right now for you? It's three a.m. So how do you, Ivis? I'm um, just a night owl. I, uh, I know I, it's it's pretty it's pretty uncanny. Uh, it's just the hours I keep, man. I you know I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll only sleep a few hours at night and then I'll catch a nap in the middle of the day or something. And uh, I mean that's just the only way to do it, especially with our timing differences and trying to get all these other things done but uh it's just how we do it and uh it's worked out pretty well you know with, with our uh our late night recording the only, the only thing obviously is, is is makes it a little tough is that you know not everybody gets their questions in because not not everybody's up at the hour when we put out the tweets but uh hopefully those of you who are still listening can keep that in mind that you know what don't wait till don't wait for our tweets to ask questions just throw us questions at any time as long as you put the hashtag in there we'll see that when we go searching for questions. So keep that in mind. Yes, we always look back uh, on that. Um, next question comes from Mark Marin. What's your opinion on so to John Brooks, not J-A-B, and is it really the coup that everyone says it is? I think, you know what, I'd say this. I think, 
I think for the longest time now, some people have have, have been a little overboard with 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 his quality as a player. He is a quality young center back prospect. There's no denying that. He's he's obviously made the move up now to the Bundesliga now that Hertha Berlin has been promoted. Uh, he he's he's a, he's promising. He's very very promising. But is he this dominating uh, guy you're going to plug in and he's going to just lead your defense? He's not there yet. He absolutely is not there yet. He has quite a bit to learn. Uh, you know, one year, one full year as a starter in his entire professional career. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that he has one year as a professional starter. So he's got a lot to learn, folks. And and so for that reason, I think people should take it easy, not necessarily pencil him in as a starter in qualifying or even in Brazil. He's got he still has plenty to learn. But you know what? It's great that he's in the pool. He's he's a very encouraging prospect. And when, and when you talk about the old guard moving on now, with most likely when guys like Bocanegra and, and Gucci Onyewu, uh, you know, and even Clarence Goodson, you know, a, a little bit older. Uh, he can be part of that next generation, and I think that is definitely something to be excited about. And my and the final question, I love this one, Ivis. Is Garrett Cleverly the greatest? Uh, sorry, it's from Charles Polanski. Is Garrett Cleverly the greatest show sidekick sidekick since Ed McMahon? Do you even know who Ed McMahon is? <laughs> no, and that's gonna piss ah! off. And that's I know, and that's gonna. I, I mean, I know who he is. I know who he is, but I don't. I'm not familiar with him. And that's because the only people familiar with them are people at your age, Ivis, the old people who listen to this show. <laughs> so right there, we've already lost thirty percent of our show. Is like Garrett's a dumb young punk kid. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm young. I don't think people figured that out tonight. I think that's kind of been known <laughs> to, today, for a while now. Today, I I'll stop it. A, I don't think anyone just had that epiphany. I'm pretty sure that's it could happen. Well, I lost the remaining two percent of the people your age that that. <laughs> my age, I love it. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty young for Ed McMahon. I know, even. I know you he, are. Uh, I know. But I did when I was young. When I was really young, I do remember the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon. As as I did, I did watch a few, so I can't even deny it. Uh, but sidekick is a pretty good sidekick. I would say that. Um, but I tell you what, of the questions that Charles Polanski submitted, we always try to only answer one question per per. Uh, <laughs> Tweeter, but uh, you know what? Next one's he, good. He, I, I like this other question. I think we should we should do okay. his other question. Yeah, too. it's uh, any tips. Well, Ivis, since you're since you're the master of the bar scene, so I'm assuming this is a good going to be good for you. Any tips for USA fans like myself traveling to Costa Rica for the September 6th clash of Costa Rica versus USA? Uh, let's see. Uh, I've actually been to Costa Rica a few times. It's a great uh, San Jose is a great city. Uh, you know, great nightlife. A lot of lot of bars, a lot of clubs. Obviously, if you speak Spanish, it makes things a lot easier. Um, I think there should be a strong turnout of, of U.S. fans making the trip down. Uh, one thing I would say is that I, I've never really gotten the sense that, uh, you know, San Jose, is for, from a danger standpoint, it's not as dang, it's not dangerous like maybe some other destinations are in CONCACAF, and I don't think the hostility is quite there among Costa Ricans toward American fans as there are maybe in some other markets, some other uh, for some other World Cup qualifying trips that you can go on. So I think from that standpoint, it's one of the better trips you can go on uh, if you're lucky enough to do that. Um, you know, you have the beaches a few hours away. Uh, there's plenty to do and see in San Jose itself during the day. If you want to sightsee, you want to go to the Jade Museum or, or check out some of the, the, the museums in, in San Jose. But I tell you what, the nightlife's great. Just, uh, you know, Obviously, you want to travel in your groups just to be careful and uh, 
uh, I think anyone could have a good time in San Jose. And Ivis, since you are the Mel Kuyper of the college soccer scene, I must be the Todd McShay because, you know, the hair, <laughs> you know, my hair, his hair, my good looks, his good looks. I mean, it's all your, reciprocal. Your absolute lack of knowledge. Yeah, no. it, it's all reciprocal. But, Ivis, <laughs> on Friday, the college soccer season kicks off. Uh, the majority of teams are going to be taking on each other. you got a lot of top 25 matchups uh, going on, some big programs. Uh, in, in opening first games, I'm excited for it, and I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I told you I'm gonna pay more attention to the college scene this year. But for people, because you're doing a little bit of a preview uh, on the website, soccerbyivis.net, can you give us a quick little preview of some teams that you think that could be contending for the national title? Well, I mean, I think it's it's a lot of the usual suspects. I don't think I think there's gonna be uh, too many teams that that you wouldn't expect to be in the mix. Uh, you know, for me. Uh, we're going to put out a preseason top 40 uh, that's going to come out on Friday. We're also going to do preseason All-American team, uh, preseason All-Freshman team. And also, uh, I'm going to, if I can get it all out on Friday before the games, uh, I, I do plan on putting out our, our first uh, pre-draft MLS draft big board uh, with the top uh, 30 to 40 prospects going into the season, draft prospects. Um, and I know... I know a lot of uh, MLS fans slash GMs slash coaches will want to uh, take a look at that. Uh, there's quite a bit of talent coming into the year. Uh, I'll just run down some teams for you real quick for me. Uh, Maryland, University of Maryland, uh, they were a team that a lot of people expected to win last year. They came up short. They lost quite a bit of, of talent to, to MLS, but you know they bring some serious firepower back. When you talk about Patrick Mullins, Sheila Schuma. And a player, a name you absolutely need to remember, mm-hmm. and one player that I'm going to be hyping up for for a bit because the guy is the truth and he is the future of the goalkeeping position. His name is Zach Steffen. He's a true freshman at Maryland. And we're talking about a guy who 10 years from now, I mean, we're talking about U.S. national team caliber goalkeeper. That's not even an exaggeration. Oh, this, this is – and I know, bum, hey, bum, listen, bum. I know there's a lot of talk about overhyping young guys. But this kid, everyone that I talk to in the biz, everyone I talk to in in soccer circles says this kid, goalkeeping-wise, uh, could be the best prospect since a Brad Guzan. You, you nicknamed him The Truth. Are, are you coining that nickname for him? Oh, I don't know what his I don't know what his nickname is, but I he's the, I'm telling you the kid is legit. Is he's the, already oh. he's won the he's won this. Listen, I've been hearing about this kid for years now, at, coming up the ranks as as he could be that next that once in a generation goalkeeper. Just keep an eye out. He's already won the starting job as a true freshman at Maryland, and if he's as good as advertised, Maryland should absolutely walk away with a national title this year. Uh, Paul Pierce's nickname is also the truth, so I guess we, <laughs> he has that one. Okay, what, what are some well, other teams? What are some? Because well, for, well, uh, for, well, for, for me, Georgetown, Georgetown's right oh back in the mix. God. I mean, these are some of the same teams that were there last year. Obviously, when you talk about the teams that were in the Final Four of the teams in the Final Four, I think they're, I think they're all back with strength this year. Georgetown, mm-hmm. they lost quite a few top talents to, to graduation: Tommy Muller, Ian Christensen, Jimmy Nealis. But they bring they also bring a ton of firepower back. With Steve Newman, Brandon Allen, uh, one of the one of the best uh, attacking tandems in the nation. Goalkeeper Thomas Gomez is legit. Uh, Joey Dillon is a quality midfielder. So they have a ton of talent. So they're right there. In, uh, I'd say Georgetown's right there in the mix. And then you have Indiana. You, you know, defending champions. You know, uh, it's easy to kind of forget that they won it all, even though they were a bit of, a bit of a surprise as a champion. 
I think that if I recall correctly, they were the 16 seed going into the tournament. They wanted a great run. They finished it off. I think they you could argue they could end up being even better this year, and that's pretty scary to think. But you know, the key for them obviously is replacing the goals lost by Eric Zavaleta's departure to MLS. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, when you want to talk about a midfield, uh, a stacked midfield, Indiana has it. Uh, not only did uh, they were already bringing back Nikita Kotloff, Harrison Petz, AJ Corrado. A quality trio of midfielders. On top of that, they're adding Dylan Mayers, the standout playmaker from Louisville, who has transferred to Indiana. So it's like the rich. It's the rich getting richer in midfield. So if uh, if uh, Todd Yagley can find himself a forward or two to kind of to, to take advantage of the service that those guys are going to create, uh, Indiana is going to be right there in the mix, and, and they might have that forward in Tommy Thompson, a, a promising freshman for them. So they're going to be they're absolutely going to be in the conversation. And then you have a team like UConn, who I know every year they have a really good regular season, and then they fall short in the in the NCAA tournament. They get eliminated earlier than expected. Uh, but I tell you what, this year they're they're stacked. They're 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 primed to make a run. Andre Blake's the best goalkeeper in the nation. Uh, well, obviously, Zach Steffen. If Zach Steffen ends up being as good as advertised, you could argue he will. But Andre Blake's the guy who, you know, MLS MLS scouts are, have they have their eyes on. He's already been called up by the Jamaican, the full Jamaican national team. He's legit. Mamadou Diouf, the goal, big goal scorer for them. He's going to be quality as well. And then, and then you have the freshman Ethan Decker is going to be one to watch. So I'd say, you know, they're the team as well. That four, for me, is the top four. Uh, a bit of a surprise for, at the number five in our – giving you guys a little sneak peek into the SBI preseason uh, rankings, but UCLA. Now, UCLA has an outstanding freshman class coming in. They're going to have as many as three starters uh, freshmen starting for them. Uh, we're talking about some quality, quality players coming in for them, and if those, and it, it might take those freshmen a while to, to to settle in and 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 get used to the to the college scene. But I tell you what, by the end of the year, this UCLA team for me is going to be right there on the cusp. So they're 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 a team to watch. Uh, and, and again, some of the same usual suspects: Akron, uh, even though Caleb Porter's gone and they lost a ton of talent to the pros, they're they're still stacked. They're going to be back. Notre Dame's quality. Even though they lost Dylan Powers and Ryan Finley, they, they still bring back quite a bit of talent. You've got Creighton. You've got New Mexico. St. Louis is a team absolutely you want to keep an eye on. So so it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a great season. I think there's more talent this year, more pro talent, uh, more MLS caliber uh, draft talent this year than even last year. And you only said one of the teams that I think is going to win, Ivis. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what, what, what teams? What's one of these teams? Uh, <laughs> why not uh, Louisville, Marquette? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Louisville, they've got talent, but losing Dylan Mares is going to hurt them. I mean, they still have Will Vitalis and Marlon Harrison. they still got some quality players there. Virginia, another team with a stacked yeah. incoming freshman class, and they had, do have some standouts coming back. Wake Forest. Is a team as well with uh, the Seattle homegrown player Sean O'Coley, uh putting in the goals for them. They're going to be a team to watch. So it's going to be a great. I, I tell you what, man, it's going to be. I think a real fun college season to follow because it's not just a case of you know four or five good like really good teams. I think there are a dozen or more uh, like top top quality teams, and 
anywhere from 20 to 25 teams that on a given day can beat anybody. Well, Ivis, we have finally come to the end of the show. Before we wrap it up and do our typical, you know, okay, we're going to be done, and then we talk for another 10 minutes, I'll start <laughs> it by saying, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we did not touch on? Because there was a lot of stuff that happened. Right. I mean, it, I think I feel like we covered all the bases. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, and yes. you know what? I, well, there's a few things. There's a, there's, there's a couple of uh, of key kind of popular topics, uh, at least oh, is, one that is, we didn't touch on. Is this what? the new grind, grind My Gears thing? Because I noticed everyone in the comments one of the previous shows was like, oh, I was, that was so funny when you're like grinding your gears. So I think this is the Grind Your Gear segment. Uh, well, it will. It, all right. I guess you could say that. But uh, this the first topic is not necessarily that. Uh, the first topic is this whole Coppelgate involving the American outlaws and the fans uh, and the supporters in, in Columbus. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this because I think some people are already sick and tired of the story. Uh, but basically, it's a, it's a non-story. It's something that was completely blown out of proportion. There were these rumors that, that uh, American outlaws in U.S. soccer were going to bring in Seattle's capos, uh, the, the leaders of their supporters groups, to come lead the, the, the supporters sections at the USA-Mexico game. That was That is not happening. It was never happening. Uh, the only thing that was happening was that U.S. soccer was trying to put together a group of, of capos from around the country to help out with this large, the largest ever supporters group that's going to be at this USA-Mexico game. We're talking about 9,000 uh, U.S. supporters, which is double the size there's ever been for a qualifier at, at Crew Stadium. So some people, I don't know how the story got, got twisted, but some people took it as, oh, Seattle's co-opting this thing. They're going to bring in all the Seattle people because apparently Seattle is the only group that can organize large fan groups, which is ridiculous, right? Look, Seattle does a great job, but they aren't the only people who can do the job. I've been to many a qualifier in Columbus, and Columbus has always done an outstanding job. I don't think they need that much help, but hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with organizing the organizing some people to help out. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I just think some people took it to an extreme and passing along the stories, and you know how it goes. Things get twisted, and, and all of a sudden you have a completely fic- fictional story making the rounds and people passing it along. Listen, at the end of the day, you're going to have a full crew stadium. You're going to have crew couples helping lead the way. And and, for, and and crew stadium will once again be a great venue for USA Mexico, as it's been from since 2002, 2005, 2009. I've been there for, for all those, and, and I can tell you they've never disappointed. So I think uh, it, it's really a non-story, but I, I wanted to touch on it just because it, it really kind of blew up in a day. And some people really took it as gospel that this whole thing was going on. U.S. soccer was never, ever paying for 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 uh, Seattle capos or Seattle uh, supporters to come help the crew supporters. That was never happening. Hopefully, there is some co- there there is some some cooperation and some and some um, unified work among the groups. Because why why not? Right? I mean, why have an American Outlaws type organization with chapters around the country if you can't have them come together, work together? I know there's a lot of animosity. I know there's uh, you, you have a lot of, uh, you know, people are real, very, very territorial and real, real uh, guarded about their own their own turf. And there's all that kind of thing. But hopefully, you know, cooler heads will prevail. And hopefully th- there can be a real uh, a real unified effort to, 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 to put on a great show. And I have no doubt. 
Uh, all right, all right, Ivis. I have no doubt you're it'll be rambling. For USA Mexico. All right, what's what's your next thing you want to talk about? Well, listen, this one, you know what? If we want to talk about a little rant, I will just say this. And I don't want to get into too many specifics because I don't want to call anyone out specifically. But I will say this, right? And I've talked about this in the past. It just seems like people insist on uh, on trying to pump up young prospects and, and, and they're always looking for the next great star and want to call player A the the, the few the next messy the next this the next that this guy's the great this this kid is the is the future right and i hey i even did it with zach Steffen, but you know what that one is i mean we're talking about scouts coaches uh professional players about zach Steffen. like he is an established player he was on the u.s under 20 team as a third goalkeeper as a 17 year old so that tells you a little about where he is but my this is what i wanted to touch on is that i, I read a, i read a story today about a 12-year-old player. I won't say the player's name, but I'll just say I read on a on a news, on a soccer news site. He has a sick name, of, by the way. But let's not even get into that. Let's not even know. We don't want anyone tr- trying to figure it out because <laughs> it's not even the point. I just I, – I'm sorry. I just don't get it. I just don't get why we need to be reading about 12-year-olds. It's just – I. it's just – you know what? It's just mind-boggling to me. It really is. And, and – I, I, I don't know. I mean, are there talented young players? Sure. 11, 10, 11, 12-year-old phenoms, are there? Sure. I know they exist. I know they're there. But do we really need full-blown stories about 12-year-olds? Do we really? I just – I'm sorry. I think it's overblown. I think some people just – I mean, isn't there, isn't there enough to write about just with what's actually, like, important, like, you know, professional soccer or – or, you know, American or European or international or Mexican. There's enough to write about. There's en- Then why do we need to re- be writing about 12-year-olds? I'm sorry. I just, like, for me, I just think it's it's totally unnecessary. It's just putting undue pressure on, on these kids, and it's just setting up kids to fail when you want to when you, when you prop them up at far too young an age. Come on, Ivis, but that's that's how we build up our players in America. Then they come oh. back like Eddie Johnson and Josie Outdoor and, and flames of glory, and they finally live up to what we expected. Come on, you know Ivis. what though? But even those guys, they, they, I mean, those at sixteen, those guys were 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 being written about and being heard about. Sixteen, not twelve. Sixteen. I'm sorry. I just think it, it, twelve is just too young. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about. 12-year-olds being linked with European powerhouse clubs. I just think it's ridiculous. Are there young prospects who, who, who play in international tournaments and, and maybe catch the eye of clubs? And That stuff goes on. That stuff has gone on. This is not a new thing. But I just think some people try to be opportun- a little opportunistic. They want to pump themselves up, their clubs up, their names up, uh, you know, whatever it is. I just think for me – I just don't see the. I just wish it didn't happen. I really didn't. I really don't because you know what? I, I twelve is too young. That's just my opinion. You can feel free to disagree. You could maybe you maybe there. You know what? There are people who I'm sure they want to read about ten year olds, eleven year olds. They, they they want to know who's going to be the starting U.S. midfield in 2026. I'm sure. Maybe maybe there are people who who want that. But for me, I just think there's more than enough to write about now. Uh, pro prospect, legitimate, about to be pro, pro spot, pro prospects, pro players, international players, national team players. There's enough to write about that. And so for me, you will not be reading about 12 year olds on SBI. That's never going to happen as long as I can help. But there will be 13 year olds, though. No, no, I'm sorry. Like, you know what? 
I, pretty much college freshman is about unless you have a pro contract. College freshman or if you're a pro. If you you know what? If you're a 16 year old homegrown player and some MLS team yeah. signs you to a homegrown deal, you're officially a pro. Then you will be written about. We will write about you if you're you know if your story is worth writing about. We will write about you. But beyond that, I'm you know what? I will leave you be. I will let you grow. I will let you continue on your growth as a young player. And not not label you the next this, the next that, or, or or try to tie you to random European clubs as if you know it means anything because it just doesn't. People, it just doesn't. Don't buy into this stuff. Don't buy into player Y. Eight years from now is going to be the starting uh, you know winger at Arsenal or any of the, you know just 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 stop. Let's just stop people. Well, he's not going to be because Arsenal is not going to spend the money for him. Well, that's true. I mean, by then, well, you figure by then, but all the all the interest that that the money that they have in the bank will have accrued, they will be able to afford anyway. <laughs> no way, they won't spend money. I don't know. Let's not, <laughs> not even talk about ourselves. But anyway, you're digressing. This this <laughs> let's try to find. I mean, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Seriously, U five, U six, like what? What's the what's 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 too young? What's too young to start to, to hype kids up? I, I just, I mean, I'm sorry. You know me. I don't. I don't. I I try not to. I, I never go after fellow journalists. I would never do that. That's just my thing. I don't care if I hate your guts. I will never criticize a fellow journalist. Uh, just because you know what, we're, all, we're we're all in the same business. We're all trying to do our thing. But I, yeah. for me. I just feel like it's just ridiculous. I just feel like write, writing full blown stories about twelve year olds is just is just absurd. I'm sorry. All right, Davis. Rant, rant, rant over. That's the, that's my rant. And uh, there you go. Rant right. of the week. Let's let's, let's let's take a deep breath here because we we need to close the show on, on at least a, a positive note. Oh, there's plenty of positive. <laughs> we got you got new million, well, on, got on, a, on a more non negative tone. Hey. Hey, the U.S. national team has the longest winning streak in the world, 12 games, and they're about to try to make it 13 and 14, and they are they have just called up one of the strongest teams in in arguably U.S. national team history. So it's going to be fun to watch. I will be in Costa Rica, and I will be in Columbus, uh, and these are going to be two great games. Ivis uh, will be buying a couple couple bottles if the U.S. beats Mexico, so everyone prepare prepare accordingly for that game. Bottles? Are you serious? Bottles of beer? Come on, dude. It's Columbus. I don't know. It's nice. It's, you know, I don't know. Bottle. I don't know if bottle services is the order of the day in Columbus. You can get a. You can get a uh, a pitcher of beer, maybe. Yeah. Let's do that. Well, I'm never a fan of bottle service, Ivis. So you don't need to worry about me. As as, <laughs> as a hipster, which I'm going to piece fifty percent of our audience. I just love you know a beer hall, and that's it. That that works for me. If you call yourself a hipster, are you still a hipster? I don't know. Like, I don't think I am. I don't know but, like, if you everyone, everyone I don't know if you can call yourself one. I think you have to kind of, like, be one without acknowledging I, Well, I'll say this. I will say this. Stockholm is, like, the hipster capital of the world. Like, the outfits there were just insane. It was awesome. I felt it. I finally felt it. it home. I thought Brooklyn or Portland were the hipster No, capital. I was, like, Stockholm was. Like, I was walking off my cardigan, and, like, everyone else well, had you know a cardigan what? Those aren't on. Hipsters. It was That's just the style there. That's not being hipster. That's I guess you're right. Europe. Yeah. It's well, being European. That's <laughs> so maybe that's what it is. Maybe the hipsters are just more European. That's there you go. Hipster. There you go. That's what that's we, we've take hey, look at this. I was we solve important social issues on this show. There you go. We cover it all. <laughs> all right, man. It's uh it's extremely late for you. It's late for me. I gotta go out to LA tomorrow. 
Oh, well, on Friday, excuse me. Got to go out to LA on Friday. So I'll be in LA this weekend, out in Hollywood. So, Ivis, come out to Hollywood, man. We'll have a good time. Oh, you know, I will be at I will be at the Red Bulls DC match on Saturday, and uh, hopefully having a barbecue on Sunday and uh, chilling out before I head out to Costa Rica on Tuesday. I I would imagine we're gonna do a Sunday night show so we can have a Labor Day Labor Day special unless we uh, push it to Tuesday. But uh, you know, it's glad I'm I'm just glad to be back. I'm just glad we we got the show. And even though this is gonna be probably one of the longest shows we've ever done, I, I have a feeling our our listeners are glad that we're back too. I'm glad that we're back, man. I, I I miss talking to you. You know, I was I was sad. You know, for for the first time in three weeks, you know, someone wasn't putting me down. I I didn't know how to handle it. <laughs> I was waiting for that. You know, you, you went three whole weeks without. You had withdrawal. You had being berated withdrawal. Yeah, you know? you know, everyone was like, it was great. Like I was walking around Europe as an American, and everyone loves America. I'm like, this is great. This is this is what it feels like to to be happy with your life. It, it was amazing. <laughs> then, then I talked to you for like three seconds on, on Gchat. Uh, like it, it all it all comes back. All the bad memories come back. Uh, just wait till we do the outtakes. Everyone will love it. Oh my hell no, <laughs> <laughs> Ivis. All right, man. That wraps up the show, dude. Uh, we'll have another show next week for everyone listening. As always, uh, you know we appreciate all the comments, reviews, and listens. And uh, Ivis, uh, get some sleep. Uh, you have a full, you have a full slate of uh, articles to post before the weekend, my man. Yes, sir. And uh, we will be back on uh, Sunday. And uh, hopefully we can get a guest on uh, before I head up to Costa Rica. That would be nice. Well, as always, everyone, thank you for listening. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for listening. This is the SBI Show.